book of Hosea this evening. You'll be finding that in the Bible. The book of Hosea will be in the last chapter of Hosea, Hosea chapter 14. Thanks again for praying for us as we were gone last week. We were uh, in the Bethaven Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. We've known Pastor Rick Carter and his wife Angela for a lot of years. Never able to spend as much time with them as we did this time. That's the church that Brother Gossmeyer, missionary that we support to England, that's the church he's out of. It's also the church that sponsors the HOPE program that we use in our Friday Night Addiction program, HOPE. It's developed by the church there, and it's a great joy to be there and spend some time with them. Also to see some of our family. I know some people may not, if your family are fairly close to you, or if you don't like seeing your family, uh, you wouldn't relate to this, but we miss our family. My two brothers, we got to spend time with their families. My wife's sister, Melinda, we got to spend several days in her home and some time with her. And uh, her son, Brian, got to see an aunt and uncle of mine. That's my mother's youngest sister that we love dearly. These people we see only a few, every few years. We love them. But because of the distance and because of our schedule, because of different things, we hardly ever get to see them. So we were so close uh, there in Oklahoma that we thought we'd go down and spend a few days with them. And so it was a treasured time, and we thank the Lord for it. But it's good to be home. Hosea chapter 14. I'm mindful of the fact tonight that we have uh, a revival meeting that comes up beginning next week. Next Sunday is actually the celebration. Won't be much of a celebration, but it is the time that we recognize the founding of our church. It was established on the last Sunday of August, and so I've asked Brother Jerry Locke to come and preach a meeting Sunday through Wednesday, and uh, just, it's going to be a great meeting, it's going to be a great time. I've got to know Brother Locke over the course of recent years, and um, with that in mind, though, I want to just talk a little bit about revival. You know, there, there's never been a time, never, ever been a time when revival has not been urgently needed. That includes the Old Testament time. Matter of fact, uh, there's more said about revival really in the Old Testament than there is a New Testament. The only difference is in the Old Testament it was the nations of Israel and Judah that were called upon to be revived. In the New Testament it was the churches called upon to be revived. Jesus addressed the churches in the book of Revelation about needs for revival. Paul wrote in his epistles about the needs for revival, but the, both of these are common, common denominators. The call to revival was never to lost people. It was always to God's people. Lost people can't be revived. Revive means to come back to new life, to be revived. And lost people have never had life. They don't know what it is to have life. But God's people need to be revived from time to time. And... Um, as we think about that, spiritual awakening, personal revival, corporate revival, it's something we've been a part of, exposed to our entire Christian life. I can, even though it was 1975, 1976, I remember an emphasis in our church, not just on revival meetings, but personal revival. The need for people to be being 
revived. And today is no exception. There's a great need for it today. And what Hosea writes about, and we'll talk about this tonight in the message, he's calling for his generation to come back to God. Wouldn't that be a great message for America today, in the churches of America, to come back to God? Not a lot of politicians saying that, but there ought to be a lot of churches and preachers saying that. We need to come back to the Lord. So Hosea 14 is where we're going to be, begin our reading. Let's stand together if you're able to. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 1. Some of you have already read it. You're reading that while I'm talking. But um, Hosea 14 verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. We're not looking to humanity to help us. Neither will we say any more to the work of our own hands, the work of our hands, idols. We'll never say this again. Ye are our gods, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. And this is a divine response. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. So I want us to focus on that phrase, the first part of verse 1. Return unto the Lord. Why don't you think about that tonight? That will be the focus, the emphasis of our message, not return unto the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Father, tonight, we thank you for your word, the timeless message of your word. And Father, we don't want to say anything other than what your word says. We want to believe what your word says. And we want to mix faith with what your word says. We recognize tonight that only God can reach a human heart. So I pray that tonight you would speak to our hearts through the word of God. Help me, Lord, to say what needs to be said in the manner that it should be said. Help me to refrain from saying things that we best left unsaid. We pr- Most of all tonight we rely upon the spirit of God to be our helper as we study together, as we learn together, as we obey together. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin looking at this um, period of time in Hosea's life to talk about the need to return to the Lord. That was the plea in verse 14, return unto the Lord. Now Hosea, as you know, is a prophet. And his ministry at this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided. You have the northern kingdom, which is Israel, Samaria is the capital city. You have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, and Jerusalem is the capital city there. And he's, his ministry is to the northern kingdom, to the nation of Israel. Now let's think for a moment tonight as we get into the scripture about the role of the prophets. There are no prophets now in the sense that they were in the Old Testament time. The purpose of the prophet was to get a word from God, deliver God's word. Well, we we have God's revelation. We don't need anyone to give us any more revelation. 
If there's a role of a prophet now, it's not to, it's to preach what God says in his word. But these prophets uh, were God's servants. When I read these words, I, I want to be mindful of the fact that they were not preaching their own opinions. They were not preaching their own preferences. They were preaching what God had given to them. They didn't stand up and just elaborate on their pet peeves. They, they were God's prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, these different prophets. Elijah, the great prophet. Joel, Amos, Nahum, Hosea we look at tonight. They all had this in common. Every one of them had this in common. They were God-called servants, and their assignment was simply to proclaim his truth. Now, it's hard for us to imagine what that was like in that day, but that's the way it was. They were mouthpieces for God. Did God have something to say to people? Absolutely. How did he deliver his message? He had his prophets. They proclaimed his truth. So when we read these messages, when we see what Hosea said, we understand that he didn't just get up on the wrong side of the bed and had a burr under his saddle and decided to just unload on these people. No, he was speaking the words of God. And God in his mercy, I'm talking about for us now, God in his mercy has recorded not all of those messages, but many of those messages we have in our Bible. So we're going to read the messages that God gave to these prophets. Now, how should these messages have been received? When, some, when a prophet like Hosea stood before the people and said, this is what God is saying, how do you think those messages should be received. One would think they'd be received with a seriousness about it, with a desire to obey it, but the reality is that very often they were ignored. They didn't, they didn't take the Bible seriously. Now we, we could say, well, shame on them, but let's be honest about it. Sometimes we don't take the Bible as seriously as we should. Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel, as I said earlier, prior to their captivity by the Assyrians. We often talk about the Babylonians who conquered Judah, uh, but before that, the Assyrians conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and Hosea was a prophet before they were captured. Hosea had some unique characteristics about him. The first record we have of God dealing with Hosea God told him to take a prostitute for his wife. That's not what we normally tell our sons and daughters. God told him to take a prostitute. You know why? Because it would be an object lesson. Because God had this, this wanted to have this close relationship with Israel, but they were unfaithful. They were like an unfaithful spouse. So Hosea, that's Hosea's first assignment. Go find you a woman of whoredoms, the Bible says. And he's going to use this to teach and speak to the people about their unfaithfulness. I'm just talking about the, the, the atmosphere in Hosea's day. Very vile, very wicked. But God in his love sends prophets to give people the word of God. I'm glad he does. For about 40 years, Hosea preached to these people. We're going to look here in chapter 14, but let me just 
let's just go to Hosea chapter 1. I'm going to give you just a kind of a snapshot of some of the examples of things Hosea had to say. Look in Hosea chapter 1, I already mentioned this, but in verse 2 it says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. This is the beginning of what God said through Hosea. Verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. The land has been unfaithful to me. The people have been unfaithful to me. They've been like, they've committed spiritual adultery. So I want you to go and take a wife of the whoredoms. Look in chapter 4, if you would, of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. Here he is proclaiming truth to these people, these unfaithful people. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land. God has a controversy. God has a problem with what's going on in the land. Don't you, aren't you glad we live in a day when God doesn't have a problem with what's going on in our land? God had a problem. Look in Hosea chapter 8, the last verse. We're just looking at some samplings of the kinds of things that God had Hosea to say. For Israel, in 8.14, For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples. And Judah, see, makes a distinction between Israel and Judah. Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities, but I will send a fire upon his cities and shall devour the palaces thereof. Both of them are going to experience this judgment. Look in chapter 10 and verse 1. He says, Israel is an empty vine. We talked about this this morning about fruitlessness. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increase the altars talking about idolatry according to the goodness of his land they've made goodly images these are the messages that Hosea was called upon to deliver that brings us back to chapter 14 if you'd rejoin me there so we're at the end of this chapter we're at the end of this book we're in the final chapter of this book as I said Hosea preached during this time just before the Syrians conquered Israel this is the last part of his prophecy that we have in our Bible. And what he's saying, he's giving them a final, a final plea. It was simple. Return to the Lord. You know why? Because they had turned away from God. They were, they were backslidden people. There's only one hope for Israel. They didn't have multiple choice. There was only one hope. And that hope was to return to God. We a word that we often use that's, that's used in the Old and New Testament is the word repent. It means the same thing. It means to turn around, change your direction. Return to the Lord. The hour for them is late. I mean, they're about to be taken by the Assyrian Empire. The hour is late. And there's only one hope they have. It's not, it's not complicated, is it? Simple. You have one hope. Return to God. Return to God. By the way, the... the the cure, the solution to the problems in our culture are not complicated. They're simple. Just get right with God. Return to God. Turn to God. But you know what? 
as we see in our text, they, they, never, they never really embraced that. They were backslidden and they had turned away from God. Notice some other things he said to them in chapter 14. Look in verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Now, they had no printing press. Gutenberg had not been born yet. The printing press had not been discovered. How'd they get this message out? We read it in our Bible, but how'd they get this message out? They didn't print out tracts. It had to be verbally. He's, wherever he is, he's saying to the nation of Israel, I'm sure he didn't say it in one place. He moved around, I'm sure. But his message was simple. Return unto the Lord thy God. And look at the last part of verse 1. For thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. He said, I'm telling you, Israel, this is where you've, this is where you've failed. This is where you've fallen. It's not a political problem. It's not a financial problem. The problem is you've fallen by thine iniquity. You've, it's your sin. Sin. Any sin. Iniquity. Sin. Restricts our relationship with God. And you can be religious and not have a relationship with God, right? If you're sinful... A person can sit in church and have pride in their heart. Think of ourselves more high than we ought to think. And we may, seem, we may seem religious, but really in reality, our sin hinders our relationship to God. Not just pride, selfishness, immorality, dishonesty, whatever it is. Here's a, here's a very simple lesson. Tonight's a very simple lesson. Sin never gets us closer to God. Whatever that sin is. It never gets us closer to God. It never improves our relationship with God. And so what were they to do? They were to turn back to God. The Hebrew word translated there as return is shub. It means to turn back. You know why you turn back? Because you've been going the wrong direction. The more I read the Bible, the more I see how common this is. Old Testament, New Testament is true of the churches of the New Testament, true of the church at Corinth. True of the church, it's, it's true of churches, it's true of Christians. The problem is we, we get going on the wrong direction. And the only way to fix that is to turn around. My wife is not here tonight. But uh, she knows that uh, sometimes we make a wrong turn. Sometimes our, our navigation system gives us bad advice. It's not all the time, but sometimes it happens. And, and sometimes when it happens, I'll find a way to get back where I'm supposed to be without turning around. And if it means I have to admit I was wrong, I'll work hard to try to find another way. But the, but the, the simple truth is when you're going the wrong direction, you've got to turn around. Young person, listen to me tonight. If you are not going the right direction, no one can fix where you are but you. And, and when you're going, very, I'm going to give you some brilliant advice. When you're going the wrong direction, you don't fix anything by continuing to go the wrong direction. You have to turn around. And to turn around, you have to admit, you know, I've been doing something wrong. And so this was the advice here that God gave to Israel in this, it's like a last minute plea to save their future, to save their families, to save 
their livelihood, you need to turn around. Now, I'm concerned about Israel in those days, and I want to know the truth about what God said to them. But in reality, I'm more concerned about us, about Christians, about churches. We live in a world of spiritual confusion and idolatry. And sometimes, like Hosea's call for repentance, please, please with people to turn or kind of falls on deaf ears. You know, people, they may, not, they may know they're going the wrong direction, but they're okay with it. And I think this is my personal opinion, my personal observation. Sometimes the more a person is active in church, the harder it is to get them to see their spiritual needs. Because it's easy to say, well, I went to church Sunday morning, I went to church Sunday night. I went to church Wednesday night or whatever. But if we'd really look at our lives, and we're going to see this in Hosea's right, if we were to look at our lives, we'd have to admit, you know, there's some things about the way I'm going that are really not in the best interest of honoring God. So I say tonight, turning to the Lord is still some pretty good advice. It's not complicated, but it's pretty good advice. Even unsaved people, they don't need to be revived, but they need to turn to the Lord. But especially among Christians and churches, there's only one remedy for our sin, that's to return to the Lord. Isaiah couldn't be convinced. I, you know, I know for the most part we have people who love the Bible and love the Word and they love to worship God. It's a part of who they are. But I know that I preach every time we gather, I preach to people who are not convinced that the best thing in their life would be to really return to the Lord, to get their heart right with God. You know, to return, yesterday we returned home. To return to some place means that you have been some other place and you need to go back to the place that you were. And uh, to return to the Lord means that you know, you recognize you've gotten away from the Lord in some area of your life in some way and you want to be closer to the Lord. I remember hearing this when I was a new Christian. As I said this morning, a lot of things I heard as a new Christian were just, they just stuck with me. The reason they stuck with me is because I hadn't heard that stuff before. I'd never heard it. But I remember hearing preachers saying that if you've ever been closer to the Lord than you are now, then you need revival. That's, a, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Interesting statement. That's what's implied in Hosea's words. If you're going to return to the Lord, it means there's a place you once were that you, you aren't presently, but you need to get back there. Right? Does that make sense to you? And that was what he was saying to them. And this would be, I believe this would be a good plumb line, a good standard uh, to judge where we are spiritually, if you could look at it this way. You know, are we as close to the Lord now as we once were? And, and we're going to see this in Hosea in a moment. But again, I mean, I'm in church today, right? I'm in church today. I've been enjoying being here, singing, have my Bible, got the right Bible. 
But that doesn't mean I'm right with God in every area of my life. I could be in church and be at odds with my wife. I could be in church. I could be sitting in church and listening to sermons and singing songs and not even be serving the Lord. I could be in church and not have a burden for lost people. Are you with me? A person could sit in church and say, well, I remember when I used to serve in Sunday school, or I remember when, when I used to go to visitation. I can remember when I was burdened for lost people, but I'm sitting in church today. That doesn't mean there's some areas of life that need to be changed. So we're looking at this idea of returning to the Lord. And I'm not talking about being saved. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about our position in Christ. You can never, if you're saved, you can never be any more saved than you are. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. Dwelling in Christ, Christ dwelling in you. But you can be in that place and not be devoted like you should be. You can be in that place and not be serving like you should. You can be in that place and not be in fellowship like you ought to be. Now here's something about turning away from the Lord There are exceptions, I'm sure, to this, but I think they would be the exception. People don't usually get away from God dramatically or immediately, instantly, and not even always intentionally. It just happens. It happens gradually. It happens sort of incrementally. It happens carelessly. I had a conversation with someone recently about this very thing. Someone who's gotten away from the Lord. And I don't think they did it intentionally. I think people start drifting sitting in church. That's why it concerns me when I look at people and they're not focused on what's going on. They're more observant of people around them and just gazing and You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I think church time is an important time because that's the time when God is speaking to us through his word and we're worshiping together, we're building relationships. People don't normally turn away intentionally. But they have this in common. Look in verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord. Notice the next two words. Thy God. These people should have had a relationship with God, a personal relationship. Here's... Here's a given. No one, no one can be close to God unless they have a personal relationship with him. Now people can go to youth activities and have fun and those kinds of things. Or people can come to church. But to be close to God, I'm talking about intimate with God, you have to have a relationship. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. You have to have a regenerated experience. And there are lots of people in churches. I don't think most people in churches, but I think there are lots of people in churches who are not close to the Lord because they don't know him. They don't really know him. He's just like a historical figure to them, someone they've heard about. Return to the Lord means that you left, you've moved away, and you want to get back. So so that's how this message begins that Hosea is preaching, the need to return to the Lord. Now, The second thing I want to notice in this passage is how. The way. He gave him some advice. He gave him some practical pointers and helpers. Help, help. And it's not, again, it's not complicated. Look in verse 2. He says, take with you words and turn to the Lord. 
and say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. So how are you going to turn to the Lord? He says, take, I love the language Hosea used. When you go to return to the Lord, take with you words. Take words with you. Take words with you and turn to the Lord. I think you would agree with this statement. I think probably people hear sermons or maybe they're driving along in their car and in their mind they start thinking about, you know, I really need to be in a better place spiritually or for whatever reason they start thinking about it. But they never even get far enough to verbalize it, to say it. He says, take with you words, look in verse 2, and turn to the Lord, say unto him, say unto God, take away all iniquity. Turn to the Lord with an attitude of repentance and take words with you. And say to the Lord, look at this language in verse 2. Take away all iniquity. Who are you supposed to say that to? Say it to God. Go to God and say, take away all iniquity. Go to God with an attitude of repentance and say, Lord, I want you to, I want to get everything, I want to get everything in my life right with you all iniquity not some iniquity not a, not just I want to get this area right no he's taking away all iniquity you know again it's probably not all that unusual to find somebody who says I want to make a I want to make a positive change in my life and I'm for that I'm for that but here's how you have a real revival when you say I want every area of my life to be right with God. Every area of my life. My language. My thought life. My relationships. My idle time. Every day. I want, I want, I want to put away all my sin. Now would you, if it wasn't for the word all in there, I wouldn't emphasize that so much. But it really strikes me. All. All iniquity. And I just want to encourage you tonight, if you really have it in your heart, say, I, I just really want to restart a relationship with God that I know is not only acceptable to me, but it's acceptable to God. Have this as your goal. Go to God and say, God, I want you to take away all iniquity. Everything, turn over every rock, everything in my life, that needs to change everything in my life that needs to change. Not everything I want to change, not everything I've made excuses for, not everything I've made justifications for. I want every area of my life. And just hearing that, I'm sure for many people in this room, you're thinking, well, that's what I want. I want that. I want every single area of my life. If I'm doing something that God wouldn't want me to do, I want to stop doing it. 
If there's something God wants me to do that I'm not doing it, I'm going to start doing it. By the grace of God, I'm going to start doing it. There's something about human nature that when we start allowing something in our life that we normally would not have accepted, but when we do start allowing it, it becomes more acceptable to us. I just had this thought about something. I think this will illustrate my point. My wife and I, and this was not on this recent trip, this was another time, but my wife and I were with some people that were close to us and we were we had a couple of days to spend with them and they said to us the more I think about this the funnier it gets they said to us this couple did we watched this movie uh, recently and it was just so good and knowing how we are they said, and there's no cussing in it or anything. It's just, a, it's, just, it's just a decent movie. And we said, okay, we're good with that. And so we're watching it. And here comes out this cuss word or curse word or if you prefer profane word. It's followed by another one and then another one. And I, I kept getting a glance from them looking at us to see how we're reacting. And finally, they just shut it down and said, we, when we saw it, we didn't, we didn't even think about all this garbage that was in it. But with you sitting here, we're thinking about all this garbage that's in it. And actually, they felt really bad about it. And the next day, one of them said to me, you know, there was a time in my life when I'd have felt the same way about hearing those words, but we've listened to them so much that we don't even notice it anymore. That's the way sin is. Just because you've gotten used to it doesn't mean it's right. Just because we grow accustomed to it and it doesn't, it doesn't pain us to see it or hear it doesn't mean it's okay. Revival means saying, God, I want, I want you to make everything right. And I challenge you tonight. Young person, I challenge you to do that. To say, God, I want every area of my life. And by the way, if you don't have that somewhere in your heart, then something's bad wrong in your life spiritually. I'm not saying that you're perfect. I'm just saying you want, if you're saved, you want to please God. You want the areas of your life to be pleasing to God. So he says, bring words and say to God, I want you to take away all iniquity. Look what he says in verse 2. And receive us graciously. We want you to take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. Now that's not what Israel was saying. That's what Hosea was saying God wants you to do. God wants you to do that. So God wants you to return to him. And God wants you to say to him... Take away all iniquity, and God wants you to say and receive us graciously. Be merciful unto us. And then he 
said in verse 2, so will we render the calves of our lips. We're not going to offer an animal sacrifice. We're going to offer a surrendered life, our lips giving God praise. He goes on and talks about their idol worship in verse 3. Say, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, to our own creation, you're our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Take words and go to the Lord. Take words. Israel was guilty of spiritual adultery. Now those, that phrase, unfortunately it doesn't mean, doesn't have the impact today that probably, I know for a fact it did a generation or two ago, but to say that you're an adulterer, that's a, that's a hard thing to be exposed to or confronted with, I should say. But you know why they were considered, you know why they were considered adulterers? Because they loved other things more than God. They loved their idols. They loved their own pleasure. They'd given their heart to other lovers when they were to be God's spouse, if you would. There's no difference in that, none. Then it would be for us to love sports more than we love God or love friends more than we love God or love our entertainment more than we love God. That's spiritual unfaithfulness. That's being like an unfaithful spouse. God wants to be more than our creator. God is our creator, and I'm glad he is, right? But he's not just our creator. He wants to be our closest companion. He wants to be the most important relationship in our life. And these people had turned away from God, and he's calling them back. By the way, as I said earlier, this is God's message to Israel through Hosea, but I think it's good advice for anybody in any generation. Take with you words. Turn to the Lord. Let me give give you a homework assignment tonight. This would be a good thing to do. In just a little bit, we're going to have the end of the service. We'll be thinking about, praying about the message, how it has to be obeyed, impacting our life. When you do that, take words, young person. Take words and talk to God. There at your seat, get on your knees, come to this altar somehow, talk and say, God, God, I'm coming before you, and I I want you to search me. I want you to search me. I'm not the search, I'm not the search engine. It's not my job to find people sent out. It's the Spirit of God's job to convict us of sin, but it's our job to say to God, search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Do I have a bad attitude? Is my life what it ought to be? The advice that Hosea gave to Israel is good for all of us. You know, the devil doesn't want us to think about revival. Young person, the devil doesn't want you to get right with God. That's why he will make it as easy he can for you just to ignore this stuff. You know what these people did with this message? Nothing. They did nothing 
with this message. Just like people today, they do nothing. They don't heed it. They don't take it seriously. They don't listen to it. They don't obey it. Doesn't mean the message is wrong. It's just they, want, they don't want to change. But I'm telling you, they paid a price for that, didn't they? This Assyrian army came upon them, destroyed them, took them away. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Words are important, aren't they? Words are our means of communication. How do I communicate with God? With words. But words are meaningless if they don't come with a heart of repentance, a turning from ourselves and turning to God. We come to God confessing our sins, acknowledging our wrong. We come to God admitting our selfishness and idolatry. But I'm telling you, this is such a beautiful statement. We come to God and say, take away all iniquity. Everything in my life that's not pleasing to you. God, I want it to go. Words. Take away all iniquity. All iniquity. I think half-hearted repentance could be defined in this way, described in this way. It's, it's willing to deal with some sins, but not all sins. God, I want to work on, you know, I want to work on this, but if you don't mind, I want to keep this. And this is part of the problem. Sometimes people, we want to make some improvements. But you know what God wants? You know what God wants. God wants us to be completely, thoroughly open and right with him. A complete turning to the Lord. So we see in this passage what the command was, the objective was, the challenge was, the plea was return unto the Lord. We see how they were to come to the Lord, take with you words. And then I want to quickly just mention the reception that a person could expect when they have this kind of repentance in their life. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. God would heal their backsliding. Heal it. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual sickness. Backsliding is a spiritual disease that needs divine healing. He said, I'm going to heal their backsliding and I will love them freely. God wanted to love these people freely. I don't pretend to understand everything there is to know about this relationship between Israel and God. But everything I read about it, whether you go back to the times of the judges or the times of the kings... This particular time, here's what I, it's like a one-way relationship. God loves them, they are unfaithful lovers. God wants to help them, they don't really want God. Sometimes in a, in a rare occasion, they'd get in a real bind and they'd turn to God, especially during the period of the judges. But but God is not loving them, or excuse me, they're not loving God the way they should. But God, God says here, that if they'll turn to him, then he said, I'll heal their backsliding, we'll love them freely. You know, God can heal broken lives. Aren't you glad about that? God can heal spiritually. And he, you know, if you look in the same book, turn a couple of pages to the left, probably, in uh, chapter 4, maybe three pages, excuse me, chapter 6. 
These are interesting words. Chapter one, chapter six, verse one. I'll get it right. Hosea six one. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. He will put us back together. That's what God can do. He can heal us spiritually. He can heal us emotionally. One of the hardest things for a parent to watch, one of the hardest things just for a believer to watch, is to see people who are bringing harm to their own life, to their family, to their future by the things they're doing. But God can heal those things. There's nothing wrong that God cannot heal. There's nothing wrong with a person that God cannot fix. Healing means that it's, you know, I was noticing today, I just happened to notice this about the scars I have on both of my shoulders uh, from surgeries. And there was a day when those scars were painful, right? They'd sliced my shoulders open. One of them they sliced, the other was sort of arthroscopic, but it still hurt. But you know what? I still see the scars, but it doesn't hurt anymore. You know why? Because it's healed. God can heal broken lives. God can heal people who've turned away but turned back to him. And God wants to freely love his people. Israel, yes. Yes, he did. But no offense to Israelites, he loves us just as much as he loved Israel. Recently in another place I preached about the prodigal son and about the pain he went through, the foolish decisions he made, and him coming to himself. Basically, he did what Hosea advised Israel to do. He came with words. He came with words to his father and said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I say all that to say, I think about that in verse 4 when he says, I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely. When the prodigal returned to his father with words of repentance, he was freely loved, wasn't he? He was freely loved. Put a ring on his finger and a coat on his back and shoes on his feet and killed a fatted calf. This to me, we could have turned many places in the Bible But this to me is such a classic example of what revival looks like. People who've gotten away from the Lord, who need to return to the Lord. It's not not easy to see that sometimes. It's not easy even for us to see how we need to turn to the Lord or where we've gotten off track. We have to be open to it. We have to be willing to see it. I think we have to have the Lord open our eyes and show us. I stand with every one of you and say, I would love to see America turn to God, wouldn't you? I'd love to see that. But returning to the Lord will not start with the lost world. It's got to start with God's people. I said this earlier, and it's true. Every occasion, whether it's in the Old Testament with Israel and Judah, 
the churches of the New Testament, the rebuke of Jesus to his churches in the very first century, in the first century, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches, the need for revival. It always begins with God's people. It always begins in churches. If revival is going to come, it's not going to start in the White House. It's not going to start on these streets, these riotous streets in the inner cities. It's not going to start there. You know where it's going to start? If it comes, it's going to start with God's people. And it's going to sound sort of pessimistic, negative maybe. But if God's people won't get right with God, why should we expect anybody else to get right with God? If the people who claim to belong to Jesus Christ aren't willing to let him have his way in their life, why would anybody else get right with God? Right? Makes sense. Return to the Lord. Let's bow our heads together for prayer, all right? Everyone, heads bowed and eyes are closed. Let's take Hosea's advice tonight. His advice to return to the Lord. Now, if you've never been close to the Lord, if you've never been right with the Lord, if you've never been saved, you can't return to a place you've never been. And you may need to be saved. But if you say, there was a time when I really was in a better place spiritually. I was, had a heart for serving the Lord. My devotional life was better, more meaningful, my prayer life. Then let's take Hosea's advice and return to the Lord. And let's do it with words, just not to me, but to God. Go, to the, go with words, Lord. Lord. Take away all iniquity. All. Not some. All. Take away all iniquity. Take away the things, these areas of my life that I'm, where I'm just not where I need to be. Would you do that tonight? Right where you sit, wherever. And believe that God will heal backsliding. 